Well, it's good to see you guys again. I see uh, some new faces from about five years ago when we moved away, but there is one constant, Alan, and your handsome face is still sitting in the front row. It's really good to be here. Uh, Like Kyle said, um, Trinity has a really special place in my heart. This is a place where I grew up and caused all sorts of trouble. Uh, This is the place where I got scolded in that back row, and I got scolded in that back row from the front. So that's really great, too. Uh, but it's, it's good to return. It's good to be with you. And so when, when we were coming back, Kyle actually said, hey, if, if you'd like to, to preach one of the times that you're back, you know, there's an, hour, uh, an invitation to do that. And, and so we, we were coming back for a wedding, and I kind of said, hey, we're going to be in town. Would you like that to happen? He said, yes. And he said, what would you like me to talk about? And he said, you know, there's a lot of questions being asked about uh, mental health about anxiety, about depression, about, about the whole area of mental wellness. And that's something that I care deeply about. And you'll hear a little bit about why that is in a minute. Um, but first, before we talk about um, what we're going to talk about today, I kind of want to tell you what we're going to talk about. So in a minute, we're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about God and where God is in the midst of suffering. We're going to talk about the ways that we're hurting. And at the very end, I'm going to talk just a couple really practical, uh, tangible ways that we can uh, address our own hurts, our own wounds, our own um, suffering. So as we begin, though, I would like to pray. So I'm going to invite us to pray this morning as we start. Father, we, um, we are here, like Kyle said just a minute ago, with, with our own stories. We all approach here. We have all entered into this room with different wounds, with different pain. Uh, We have different things that uh, are wrestling for uh, control of our mind, the things that make us uh, lay awake at night. And so God, what I do believe is that you are a God who is present with us. And so I pray that in these moments as we talk about uh, your word, as we talk about who you are, and your relationship to us, Father. I just pray that this is something that um, resonates with uh, each of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin, I want to first share my story with you. So about two and a half years ago, um, maybe, maybe about three years ago, I realized something was a little bit off. I began to find myself um, kind of throughout the week feeling something I didn't quite know what was happening. It felt a little bit like a buzzing in my chest. You know the, the, the mic feedback that happens sometimes? It, it felt a little bit like an internalized that. And I, I didn't know exactly what was happening and I just ignored it for a while. And eventually that feedback got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And eventually, there was several times, uh, one day I came home and I, I couldn't function. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't even communicate well. And I remember going to our bedroom. Elizabeth is home with the kids. And I laid in the bed in the fetal position, and I just cried. And what I didn't have language for then, but now, uh, after some learning and, and some, some work, I've learned that I am somebody who suffers from deep anxiety. And as I, I got some of that language and I got some of that understanding about me, I realized that 
that's been present in my life in various loops throughout my life. Sometimes better, sometimes worse, but it's kind of been there. It's been a little bit of a companion for me. And when I began this journey, I thought I was, I knew I wasn't alone, but I thought it was probably rare. And I began to study and look around at what, what other people were, were experiencing, and I realized something shocking. I am not alone. Some studies uh, seem to uh, reveal this. So um, studies show that approximately like one in five uh, adults in the U.S. have experiences of mental unwellness. About 40 million, which is the most common, are like me and suffer from deep anxiety. 40 million Americans. 25 million Americans suffer from a, uh, depression. And in 2016, there were 44,965 recorded suicides, which was a 25% jump from 1999. And actually, that number is increasingly growing. And according to uh, most studies, about 4% of the population participate in self-harm, burning, cutting, self-hitting. And pastors, this is the thing, so maybe you're sitting out there in the audience right now and you're thinking, yeah, that's the general population. Pastors, the guy up front might be really messed up, but most pastors, they're okay, and that's not true either. We're in the Nazarene church, uh, a tribe that goes all around the world, and I was curious if my experience, how that kind of matched up or lined up with my peers. And so I did this survey uh, among all of my peers, and I found that about 200 and a little over 200 pastors responded. And of the pastor peers in our tribe, 72% have had depression, 73% have had anxiety, 29% have had suicidal thoughts, and 10% have engaged in self-harm. We all approach this moment, we all live our day-to-day -day lives, with wounds. So we, we began here talking about mental health, and that's going to be maybe the most upfront, the most obvious of the topics we're talking about here. But our hurts, our wounds, our pain, it maybe is as numerous as the people here today. We deal with grief. We deal with addiction. We deal with uh, loneliness. And in our dark moments, wherever we are, whatever we experience, we find ourselves, and this was true of me, we find ourselves asking questions of God. When I'm in that fetal position in my bed, crying, I'm saying, God, where are you? Why haven't you healed me? Why are you letting this happen to me? God, where have you gone? And I think we all know those questions. Maybe we're a little too afraid to admit it because it doesn't feel like faith. Maybe we feel like failures. A good Christian wouldn't ask that question. But we ask it. And as I was going through my journey of understanding what was going on in my brain and what was going on in my body and, and, and untangling both the physical and the spiritual things that were all bound up within me. Um, I met a spiritual director, his name's Father Tom, and I meet him 
probably once every month or every other month. And he asked me if I had ever understood Psalm 23. And I learned Psalm 23 really early in my church life. I grew up in the church and it was really familiar to me. I was like, oh, I know Psalm 23. But he goes, do you know it? And he began to tell me, and I'm going to tell you some of the stuff that he told me this morning. But before we do, I'm going to read it for you. For those maybe who aren't as familiar with it, we're going to, we're going to uh, explore it together uh, bit by bit. But we're going to start this morning by reading it together. Or I'll read it and you can follow along. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, re you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So for me, when I read this passage, I read it as one big chunk. It's just Psalm 23. It's all one act, if you will say. But what I learned is that this is not one movement or one act. It's actually three. So we're going to break it up together. and I'm going to read them again in their sections. The first act we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. So it's here the world is good. It's filled with green pastures and gently sloping hills. If there was a soundtrack for this part of the spiritual life, it'd be some mix of the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Bruno Mars. It'd be happy and it'd be joyful. One can almost taste, as we read this, the clean mountain air. You can almost smell the freshly cut grass that you don't have to mow. It's paradise. There are moments in the spiritual life when we sit and it, it takes almost no effort to feel the presence of God. It comes easily. These are beautiful moments when God feels near. We love this place. We fight like mad to stay here. Unfortunately, the spiritual life doesn't stay here forever. Sometimes we move from the first stage into the second. In which uh, the second act we read this. Even though I walk through the valley, or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The language here is striking. Darkness, valleys, fear, enemies. We know this place, don't we? we? We feel ourselves assaulted by an enemy, whether it's unseen or it's seen, the people in our lives. 
We feel like in the cartoons, do you guys know those cartoons where there's somebody in a dark place and they look around and there's red eyes peering? This, this place of fear, that's our everyday life. Our sickness is unrelenting, our anxiety is paralyzing, our depression is suffocating, our sadness is life-sucking, our grief is unrelenting. This second act, we many of us know all too well. And many of us have been here so long that we really can't remember the first act very well. And we've almost become so familiar with the second act that it's now become our new home. And we can think this is all there is to life. But Psalm 23 reminds us, just like the first act, we're not always going to experience the euphoria of easy faith. So to the second act, the darkness, the valley, it's not all there is either. So we read the third act together. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is a beautiful way to end this psalm. And it's here we read words like we uh, are anointed, we are healed, goodness, love, the, the way things are supposed to be. We want this. We crave this. Now this then becomes the question, how do we move from the second act, the darkness, the valley, and into the third? Because obviously, you and I, we want our life to be good and full. We want what God is talking, or what the psalmist is talking about here in the third act. We want goodness and love and, and peace. So we think that we must work our way out. And maybe some of us have received well-meaning and given with love. Nobody's throwing stones here. But maybe in our darkest times, somebody has come to us and said, listen, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And how often in our, in our place of hurt have we received that word just saying, just have a little more faith. Just have a little more hope. Just the underlying, maybe they're not saying it, but we receive it this way. Just be a little bit better of a Christian and you won't be here anymore. And how often does that feel like for us that that very comment cheapens the pain that we're in? And so in our pain, we say, okay, if I need to have a little more faith, I need to pray a little bit harder, I need to be a better Christian, and we work and we work and we fight and we claw and we think that we can effort our way out of hell. But here's the thing, and this is what Psalm 23 reminds us of. It has never been about working our way out of hell. Let me explain a little bit. Uh, there's a uh, theologian by the name of James Mead, and I'm going to read something he wrote, which gives us some understanding of Psalm 23. He said, in Psalm 23, we find 55 
Hebrew words. And unlike many of the other psalms, in this psalm, Psalm 23, almost none of the words repeat. Only the Hebrew word for Lord, which is repeated in verse 1 and 6, the word day, which is said twice in verse 6, and restore and return in verses 3 and 6 are repeated. It's as if the poet was given this bag of words, and they were said, I need you to make the world's most memorable poem out of these 55 unique words. Now it's interesting because there's 55 words in the Psalms, which means that because it's an odd number, there is an exact center to the psalm. And the exact center is word 28, which is the word you in reference to God. Now if you take that exact center of Psalm 23 and you extend it out to its sentence, it is you are with me. It's the Psalms, this this three-act journey of the Christian life going from of good and lovely and wonderful into dark hell into the, the house of the Lord. This, this spiritual journey is centered on the understanding that God is with us. And more specifically, this is given beautiful shape beautiful shape by the understanding or this image that says not only is God with us, God prepares a table for us. You see, when we move out of the rolling hills, out of the clean waters, when we can no longer hear the sound of the beach boys in act one, and we move into the darkness of act two, when we're assaulted and we're attacked, when we feel like the world is against us, like the walls are caving in, it is everything we can do not to run. It's everything we can do not to just plead with God. The Psalms are a beautiful book because it, the Psalms is this collection of, of poetry and songs where people are pleading with God in some of their darkest moments. We know what that feels like. But Psalm 23 reminds us in that painful moment when we're saying, God, I don't know if I can last. I don't know if I can do this. I'm pretty sure this is my fault, and I don't know if I'm ever going to find my way back out of this again. God, please rescue me, remove me, airlift me out of here. God does not always do that, but he does something even better. God enters into the darkness with us. He prepares a table. He sits down and he eats with us. Experiencing, feeling, taking on the pain that we feel, being present with us. Uh, author and writer Tim Keller says it this way. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrow. Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrow and taste the, common, the coming joy. This God-enabled grace to sit in the midst of pain, the stuff that we carry, this, to, to be in this painful moment but to know this is not the way it'll always be. 
This is not the best life has to offer. And God has something different for us. It's something that is part of the core identity of who we are as Christians. Now, I want to read you two verses. So earlier we talked about how uh, often when we feel pain and we feel anxiety and we feel depression or grief or whatever our hurt is, people look at us and they say, listen, you don't have to feel like this because we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I just want to build out some context to even that verse, which gets lobbed at us sometimes. So I'm going to read two passages. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. This is Paul writing to a church. He said, indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever situation or circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, second verse, I want to... Uh, expound on troubles. So when Paul talks about his troubles, what is he talking about? In a different letter to a different church, Paul writes this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I re uh, received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three uh, times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. So when Paul offers that, you can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What Paul is explaining to us here, and what we see in Psalm 23, is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is not something that removes us from pain, but is a companion present with us in the midst of all of it. See, here's the thing, and this is what I wanted early, early on in my own journey I wanted someone to tell me that I just, I just needed the right prayer. I, I wanted someone to tell me that the Christian life didn't have to be so full of pain. I wanted desperately for someone to tell me that all I had to do was ask and God would swoop in and take me out of any of the discomfort that I feel. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could tell you that faith alone will take you out of the most difficult parts of your life. But I can't. I can't tell you that your faith will always heal you as you expect to be healed. I can't always tell you that faith will deliver you from the hell in which you currently sit or maybe someday will sit. I can't promise you that. But here's what I can promise you. In the middle of the fire, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sickness, in the middle of the depression, in the middle of the anxiety, in the, in the, in the middle of whatever 
hurt that we are in, God is with you. God is near you. God is suffering with you. A lot of the language we use as Christians, the Christian life, about what we are to be as women and men who follow after Jesus, is we are called to what's described as the cruciform life. We are to pattern ourselves after Jesus. And Jesus is a Messiah who suffered. And there's this mystery, this mysterious thing that happens in, in our uh, tradition. We believe that something happens in the life of those who suffer that does something to us and to the world that we maybe didn't expect. There's a writer by the name of Richard Rohr, and he says, all transformation, all spiritual transformation happens out of either great love or great suffering. Two and a half years ago, I'm pleading with God to heal me. I'm saying, God, I don't, I don't want to experience this anymore. I don't think I can carry this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. And for two and a half years, I experienced some of the worst anxiety of my life. And God didn't heal me. I found myself in some really healthy conversations with some professionals we'll talk about in a second, which has been part of my own healing journey. But I'll tell you something that happened. Out of my own journey with anxiety, I found myself being put into conversations with people who also had mental health issues. People who suffered from depression, people who suffered from anxiety, people suffered from self-harm or suicidal thoughts. And I don't know why, uh, well, let me rephrase that. I begged for God to remove me from my pain. But as I have healed some, God has used my own experience to be part of the healing of others. I couldn't stand before you today and talk about any of this with any sort of um, confidence if it was not also part of my story as well. And so the Christian life is God taking the pain that you are currently experiencing, whatever that is. Maybe it's mental health, maybe it's not. But we all carry it. The Christian life, the Christian faith, what we are called to is to invite God into that pain as he sets a table in the middle of our hell and as he redeems it and restores it he uses us to heal and impact our world. And that is the great mystery because we think, we think, and I still think this way, we think that we have to heal the world from our strengths, from the things that we do really, really well. Our best gifts are the things that we are going to change the world with. But that's not actually how it works. We change the world from our hurts. There's one last thing I want to share. So if you take Psalm 23 and you read the first line, the middle line, and the last line, it goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I will fear no evil. 
for you, the Lord, are with me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we see the way the psalmist structured his time or his, his poem here, when we see the way he used his words and moved us through this journey, we begin to see a really, really, really important truth emerging. And it's the portrait of a shepherd who is there at the beginning and the middle and the end of our life. Whatever that looks like, the good and the bad, the light and the dark, when we're with our friends and when we're with our mortal enemies. So you are not alone, friends. And wherever you are, wherever your journey is, wherever your feet find themselves at this moment, you are not alone and God is with you. So I talked a little bit about where God is, but I don't know if we can talk about mental health without giving a couple um, pieces of information that I've experienced as well. These are some practical steps. So I'm going to say, if you're here, and I've written about mental health a couple times, and what I find myself, um, kind of the aftermath, that's really dramatic, but in after I write it and after I put something out there, people write me and said, I have this and I didn't necessarily know that this was part of my journey. Or... I have it and I just don't know what to do. So if you find yourself here today, I just want to share something that was meaningful for me, how I found some healing, and in hopes of encouraging you that if this is where you are and maybe you don't know what to do, that these are some steps that you can take to find healing yourself. So first, um, it's really important uh, when you're dealing with mental health that your brain lies to you. So anxiety, for me, it's a voice, it's a really accusatory voice who says some of the nastiest things that you would ever believe. Lies about who I am. So as you're, as you're here, as you're uh, sitting here thinking about your own um, wounds, your own mental unwellness, understand that you are not this wound. You are not defined by it. It is not the truth about who you are. The truth about who you are is you are the sons and the daughters of a God who desperately loves you, hurts and all. That is the base upon everything is built on that. Okay, so you are not your sickness. It does not define you. Second, Bring it into the open in a safe and healthy way. So I get that you should not share these, these hurts with just anybody. Not everybody is responsible or healthy or trustworthy enough for you to share your heart with. But I encourage you, if this is something that you deal with and you don't know what to do, talk to your doctor about it. Just your family practitioner. Tell them what you're experiencing. Say, I have this, I have this feeling, this is where I experience, and they're really great at helping you parse through what this looks like and maybe some of your steps. So I had anxiety and I talked to my doctor and they got me on medicine and it took a little bit of time for me to figure out what worked for me. But a family doctor is a great start. If you want to find a therapist, therapists are wonderful. My doctor told me 
Um, therapists are great and medicine is great, but if you can mix the two of those together, they're even better. So maybe a doctor, yes, I encourage you to go see a doctor, I encourage you to go see a therapist, but you're also here in a community of people who love you. And if you, if you want to find some safe places to just talk about this, Kyle is a safe place. And Kyle can help you find other safe places to share your story. Because here's the thing about silence and pain. Your pain, when you keep it hidden and keep it bound up, it only grows it only gets sicker. I don't think that's good grammar, but it only, it only magnifies. So talk about it. Find safe places to share your story, a support group, a doctor, a therapist, and go see them. Thirdly, and I mentioned it before, you may be asked to uh, take some medication. And that's a little bit weird for the church because to take medicine can sometimes feel like I don't trust God enough to heal me. And maybe you even had some pastors who tell you, well, you shouldn't have to take medicine. You should, just, you should just pray and God will make you well. Here, if I could write a prescription, you don't have to choose between God and Zoloft. Sometimes you can pray for healing. And, and I know of some people who had deep anxiety and they prayed and they were healed. And that's great, but that wasn't my experience. And God's healing for me was medicine. God heals us through our medical science as well. So if I could write a prescription as a pastor, it's okay to take medicine. So, so uh, you are not your uh, experience. You are not what your brain tells you you are. You're the loved, beloved children of a God who is crazy about you. Don't hide it. Don't, don't stuff it down deep. Find safe places to share. Reach out to a doctor or a therapist ask for help and don't be afraid to take medicine that is not a betrayal of your faith thank you for letting me come and talk with you about this i know this is very vulnerable even sitting in the the pews maybe you're feeling like everybody's looking at you you're like oh this is something i'm not comfortable with sharing about but there is no shame in this conversation at all let's pray father thank you for a chance to Explore that you love us desperately, full stop. Your love isn't conditional on us feeling well. Your love isn't conditional on us having all of our stuff together. But you love us in our most anxious and depressed moments. You love us after we have cut. You have loved us after we have taken an attempt on our life. You love us. You are crazy for us. So wherever we find ourselves this morning, Father, may we receive your love. May we uh, begin to trust that in our most painful moments, in our deepest darkness, that you are right there experiencing all of it with us. And Father, for those who maybe are, their brain is, is racing and they are thinking, I think this is me. Father, I pray that you just give them a peace and give them a courage to take the next step to reach out for help and to know that that is okay father thank you for your constant and steadfast faithfulness with us 
through all of the journey and stages of life. We ask all of this in your name we pray. Amen.